Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We are glad that you have joined us this evening. We are going to dig into the aftermath of the NFL draft. Frogs have a first-round pick. We'll look at some recruiting updates. The Frogs have landed a big four-star recruit from the East Coast. Seems as if TCU has a better rep outside the state than they do inside the state. What in the world happened to our baseball team? And what does it have to do with our basketball team? We'll talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy, you got to feel like an old man when you had guys that you covered and uh, began to get an eye on early in high school. You saw them develop. You saw them come to TCU. And then you see them get drafted. Uh, let's just start with the, the best news of this whole podcast. What was it like following LJ Collier, his recruitment, his time at TCU, and then to see a guy that was technically just a one-year starter get picked in the first round? What does that mean for you, for LJ Collier, and for the TCU program? Well, for me, it doesn't mean much. <laughs> I'm just a knucklehead that gets to do one of the funnest jobs out there. But it was crazy watching LJ when when he came onto the scene because everyone was watching Monday for one reason one, and one reason only, and that was because of D. Paul. D. Paul was a phenomenal athlete at that level. I mean, you talk about a guy that can score from anywhere on the field, just blazing speed. He was a great track star, I think. When he was a freshman, he won like five gold medals at the state track meet. I mean, he was just a phenomenal athlete. And uh, some of the schools were looking at him. And it, it's funny because when you started to go watch D. Paul, you couldn't help but notice this gigantic 6'3", 200. And back then, he was about 225 pounds. And when you're playing, and you're, you're not playing, but watching this this tiny Class 1A school playing in West Texas, or I guess you can consider it West Texas, uh, just playing in a small community like that, and you notice him, it's like it, it's just completely jumps out at you. And it was fun watching him because he was really dominant at that level. Uh, I was kind of surprised that he didn't get more attention uh, from D1 schools, FBS schools. Obviously, Texas Tech offered him early, and he committed. And then late in the process, they decided to, to go a different direction. And luckily for TCU, Sonny Cumbie was coming onto the staff at the, at the same time. And he had recruited LJ to Texas Tech and figured he could be a, a good player for Gary Patterson's defense, the kind of player that they always try to get. But it was uh, it was really fun to watch LJ, just watching him develop. And, and I've tweeted about it, and, and everyone that's a TCU fan knows it, it, it's fun to watch these kids go from under-recruited high school prospects it's not really a, a, a knock on them because no one, no, no recruiting es expert is ever going to get every one right. It, they're not going to be able to land. I, I got a text message from one of my friends today saying, "What happened with the experts and, and evaluations from colleges were with EJ Speed? And he got picked by Tar. He was at Tarleton State and got drafted. So." It, there's always going to be a, a player that misses, but we all, as, as people that watch TCU, know uh, Gary Patterson and his staff's track record of developing players. And really, like you said, Jeff, it, it took him five years to get going. But I, I was telling people during the season, just talking to people around the program and asking about Ben, and I'd ask about Ben, and then they would immediately, before even answering a thing about Ben, say, "Yeah, Ben, you know, Ben's going to be good," but. I'll tell you right now, the guy that every scout that comes through here is asking about is LJ Collier. And I wish they had a function on our message board because I would go back and find that just so I can help prove myself right. But it's really cool for him. The, the coolest thing, everyone knows me, knows I love the small town kids. There's nothing funner than writing about a kid that makes a big time when he comes from a town that's around 1,500 people or less. I love going to those towns, love going to those games. And, man, LJ just personifies that, that whole story. I mean, it's just amazing, great, just great story for him, great story for Monday, Texas. And it, it's going to be fun to watch his career. I think he I think he went to the right place. I think Pete Carroll is going to do great things with LJ. That is good to hear. I like hearing these stories about LJ Collier coming out of Monday, Texas. You know, it's, it's not West Texas, but it's not not West Texas out there. Outside of Wichita Falls, southwest, I believe, Wichita Falls. That That is the middle of nowhere. Another guy that um, we saw that kind of, you know, rose up the ranks from the middle of nowhere, Ben Banigou, obviously 
not recruited by TCU, or didn't have a committable offer to TCU right out of the gate, went to ULM, Louisiana Monroe, ends up transferring in, had a chance to go pro last year, decided to come back. That that obviously served him well because he was not going to be a first or second round pick last year. Gets picked up by the Colts in the second round. You know, that journey that, is, again, like Collier, non-linear. It wasn't like he was a high four-star and came and played three years and was going to go on the first day. What was your takeaway from watching Ben Manigou climb up the, the ranks and be able to get drafted by the Colts on the second day? Another awesome story. I mean, if there's a if there's a guy on that roster that you really just want good things to happen to, it, it's it's Ben and LJ and Ty. I mean, those those three guys work their tails off, and it's great to see them have a chance to to get drafted and 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 continue their careers. But Ben's a funny story because Ben was a quarterback as a sophomore in high school, and if you guys remember the name Davis Webb, you remember that name. Davis Webb the third from uh, Lubbock Tech, that played out at Tech. Yeah. yeah, he's from Prosper, so he was at Keller and transferred to Prosper, and that's when Ben's days of quarterback ended. And his junior year, he actually hurt his leg, so he basically missed his entire season, and, and really, he didn't really get going at defensive end until senior year. And by then, there wasn't a whole lot of teams on him because. He was kind of a late bloomer, and I think once he got down to ULM, he continued to blossom into his body, and he redshirted the first year, then obviously played as a redshirt freshman, did really good. And I think it was at that point that people close to Ben probably told him, hey, man, you got a chance to be really good. You're probably playing a little bit of competition level down there at ULM. You want to have some feelers to see if there's any schools that are interested. And that's when he decided to transfer, and and, and once he – uh, got his release. He reached out to TCU, and the rest is history. I mean, he, he ever since he arrived on campus, Gary Patterson talked good about him. Even when he had to sit out that one year, he kept telling everyone that would listen, just wait till Ben Banigou gets out there. And when we first saw him at a spring practice, we were like, man, look at this kid. He is just built. He's he's fast. He's he's going to be very athletic for that defense. And he just proved everyone right. He had a great career at TCU and it's great to see him get drafted in the second round and if you guys didn't see my tweet you'll hear it right now TCU is the only school in FBS or period that had not one but two defensive ends drafted in the first two rounds the only program that could say that and I don't care if they have OLB next to Ben's name he was defensive end in college so Aggies didn't have that Alabama didn't have that Texas didn't have that but TCU did not a not a bad situation to be in you mentioned the third guy that was picked up uh, Ty Summers this is another one of the third of three non-linear stories quarterback at Reagan in San Antonio Reagan only offer he had that was of substance at the time was rice. And then at the last minute, I remember, I remember reading this story at the last minute, he, uh, TCU comes on and says, we'll make you a linebacker and we're going to, we're going to get you on the field and you're going to thrive. So t- take it, just take 30 seconds and tell us a little bit about his recruitment, how that flip happened from rice, which is not a great program, but a great degree that he took that risk to come to TCU and then was able to obviously become one of the best linebackers in the Gary Patterson era and ended up getting picked up by Green Bay, which is about as good a team as you can get drafted on. You, you know you're going to see the playoffs if you're playing for Green Bay. If you're there three years, you're going to see the playoffs. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, let me tell you right now, I know Ty was a seventh-round selection, but he's going to make that team. He there, There's no doubt, not because I think others will fail, but because I think Ty will strive. I mean, he's one of the hardest workers out there, and he's going to will himself to make that team. I guarantee it. But just man, if there's if there's a this, this how the saying goes, he's a better person than he is a football player. That that holds so true for Ty. He's just a great dude. But him getting to TCU, it, it was funny because I interviewed him. I was with Scout at the time, and and TCU came in late. They offered late. He was six two two fifteen. Ran a four five, I think ran a ten five, ten six, and Gary really wanted to make him a linebacker, and they offered him even though he hadn't played linebacker since his sophomore year in, in high school. And but they but they knew he had the intangibles. He was big and athletic, and the most important thing, he was fast. And and they really made him into a great linebacker. Obviously, he put on a lot of good weight in college. He's a big kid now, two forty. And I, I guarantee that 25 extra pounds he added since college is all muscle. Just a, just a, a really, uh, really good specimen. And that's the, that's the kind of uh, player that thrives 
under Gary Patterson, the guy that comes in, chip on his shoulder, has something to prove, and he did. He, he ends his uh, career as the second-leading all-time tackler in the Patterson era, right behind uh, Traven Howard. Before we ask about uh, Cavante Turpin, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor, Teen Life. If you haven't yet, go online and go to teenlife.ngo and learn more about ways that you can support junior high and high school students in DFW and beyond that are trying to find a way to get good tools to make solid decisions to secure a solid future for their life. Teenlife.ngo will give you a chance to volunteer. If you got an extra few hours during the week and you want to make a tangible difference in the life of a teenager, this is a great way to do it. And for those of you that listen to this show, got a few extra dollars laying around we would love for you to make a donation to teen life and this is a tax deductible donation that will go a long way you'll get a high bang for your buck in terms of investing in the lives of teenagers in dfw area they got they got groups at pascal in other areas and other schools right there in the tcu neighborhood where they're doing everything they can to support teenagers that are faced with things that we can't even imagine today i'm so old i remember how uh, we didn't have social media we didn't have any of this stuff Ten, kids have tough issues these days and teen life is doing all that they can to help lift these kids forward into a solid future go to teenlife.ngo to learn more about them Jeremy, I don't know if there was a bigger disappointment um, off the field this last season than uh, the week, the day after, the weekend after the Oklahoma game, seeing that Cavante Turpin had been uh, arrested in a domestic violence situation. I guess he pled out today. Um, what does that do in terms of his ability to get signed? Does any, you know, the, the real question I have is: Would Turpin have been drafted? if he had not had this domestic violence incident, and now that he has uh, at least resolved it, do you think that anybody's going to sniff him and pick him up? Uh, the first answer, if he didn't have any charges and he played this entire season, is that what you're asking? Yes. Uh, absolutely. He would have been drafted, absolutely. Um, I, I know he's small, but, I mean, the guy ran a legit 4-3 Four four forty. I mean, you just pop in as highlights. I mean, he could have made a team as a special team guy, kickoff return, punt return. Return. He was going to get drafted. If Hollywood Brown could get drafted with his size, I mean, Turp, Turpin would have definitely had a chance. I'm not saying he would have been a first or second, third round pick, but I think somewhere in that five, six, seven range, he he definitely would have got drafted. As for where things stand now, since he pled guilty today, and and he basically had a statement saying that. He admitted that he did some things. I don't think the NFL is going to touch him. I, I really don't. I don't. I I would be I would be shocked if if anyone touches him. The the way the NFL has really taken a stance, you would think. Well, they say they've taken a stance, but domestic violence is 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 something that I I don't think any team really wants to touch right now. It. At the same time, this is the NFL we're talking about. It wouldn't shock me if someone does reach out, but I, I just can't see it happening right now. Not 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 in the immediate future. Maybe maybe a year down the line. Maybe. Um, obviously, uh, Terps owned up to his mistakes, and you, you don't ever want to say you don't want someone to ever have a second chance. But you know, hopefully, hopefully he gets you know over what he's done does the counseling, gets gets everything straight in his life away from the football field, and then he does all that good, and maybe he does get a chance. But, you know, it, it just goes to show in a matter of seconds, small minutes, your your whole life can change, and that, that's really what happened to him. I mean, he, he would have easily been drafted, in my opinion. Obviously, no two situations are the same, and you can believe in second chances, but I guess I'm kind of glad that you now finally get in more trouble for hitting a woman in the NFL than you do smoking weed. And I'm, I'm not an advocate of smoking weed, and I've never smoked weed, and I don't think you should smoke weed, but that said, when you have to you know, you know, know, measure things, a guy hitting a joint and a guy hitting a woman, I know what should get you in trouble and what should not in the NFL. So I'm glad that they're at least starting to uh, 
draw a line in the sand that, that you know, domestic violence and abuse against women should should have uh, serious consequences. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is it, it didn't have consequences for Joe Mixon the way that it did for Kevante Turpin because Mixon was a, a first or second round pick. Like he was a he was a better player for the NFL than Kevante Turpin. And let's just admit that 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 impacts whether a guy can get picked. But Turpin's a little small. He's obviously not a, a three a two down back or a three down back like Mixon can be, uh, so therefore that's a strike against him. No, no pun intended. But uh, at least they're at least they're making an attempt now, and I get, I suppose I can say I'm grateful for that. I hate it for Turpin because, uh, you know, he he made a dumb choice, and it, it comes at a, at a high cost. It comes at a very high cost. But this that's that's the world we live in now, and I'm glad that's the world we live in now. If we have to choose between uh, underreacting and overreacting to that. I think uh, we it's okay to I, it's not even overreacting. I'm, I'm I don't want to get my words or, or my quotes jumbled here. There's a cost to what you did, and Cavante Turpin hit a woman, and he's paid a price for it, and he should. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean to me to me as a as a player, I mean talent wise, if a guy like Cole Beasley can can last the NFL as long as he has and make millions, I I think there's a place for a guy like Cavante Turpin, um, a guy that can take those short passes over the middle, make them into big plays or even be a, you know, have an impact on special teams. But yeah, like I said earlier, it's just, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, I forgive him for what he did. Cause I, I have a daughter and I could sure as hell tell you if that would have been my daughter, I, I wouldn't have been happy. And, and there's always two sides to each story. And he did come out today and say that, you know, he did some wrong. He's taken some ownership. That's the first step. But, yeah, maybe he gets a shot in the Canadian League or this XFL league that they have. He's he's going to be playing football somewhere. He, this is not the last time we'll ever hear Cavante Turpin's name uh, being called out for for football. He he will end up somewhere. Maybe he'll head out to uh, Florence to play for our buddy. <laughs> but he already get it. An Art Browse reference. Oh, now that that is a story that could be. Can you imagine what Muck Engle would write about Cavante Turpin and Art Bryles? Of course, it's a match made in heaven. That would be. He would. He would write that till the day till the cows come home. No doubt. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that about the XFL. I moved to Memphis, and then a week after I moved here, they shut down the American Alliance of Football, and I was all excited to go watch Johnny Manziel play on Palm Sunday. Uh, the on Palm Sunday, the day I, or after worship was over, there was supposed to be a game at four o'clock at the Liberty Bowl. I just live north of the Liberty Bowl now, and then that gets canceled. Speaking of guys that kept getting a second chance and a second chance and a second chance, there's there's these degenerate leagues that are built for guys like Manziel. So if, if Manziel kept getting signed, surely Turpin can get, can get a chance in, in the Canadian league or the XFL. So hey, speaking of, we'll see what speaking, speaking of quarterbacks and A&M and dynamic quarterbacks, what, what, do, you, what do you think about O'Collar getting drafted first? You know, I got to tell you, it, it doesn't shock me because he was the best quarterback in the in college football this last year. I think he was better than Tua. He obviously had a lot of weapons around him. He's got Riley running his offense, so he's got he's you know he's got all these things in place that are that have set him up to play. But anybody that's watched him play from Allen High School on is not surprised by this. I know he only had one season. You know, Baker Mayfield had three seasons. He had four seasons, but he had three seasons at Oklahoma. Made the playoffs twice, you know, top five finishes. But I'm not surprised by Murray, and I don't think it was a bad move. And if you're going to go all in on Cliffy out in, you know, out there in the, in Arizona, might as well get a quarterback that's built to run the system that he wants, where you can spread it out. He's, he's got a quick arm. He's got a good arm. And he's going to – He's going to take some hits. You, you know, I'll be interested to see if he just gets unloaded on by a 260-pound linebacker and how that goes. But I, I think it's a good move, and I don't know who else they could have taken. There's not a quarterback in the in the draft that was better for him to take. And if you're Clint, Cliff Kingsbury, might as well put your chips in the middle on a generational talent like uh, – maybe that's an overstatement, on a guy that you know that he has capacity like Kyler Murray. So I think it was a good move. What do you think? I think that's a good statement, generational talent, because I, I, I really do. People are going to look at how big he is. He's not very big. He's not your prototypical quarterback size. Purple Payne would be going nuts right now, knowing that 
five foot ten Kyler Murray got drafted. Oh, uh, bless his heart. He <laughs> would rest purple pain. So he he would be going crazy right now. But the thing about it is, and, and, and what everyone talked about is, if you if you put he was undoubtedly a, a top pick just for his athleticism, but you put you put his arm on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is getting drafted first overall. That's the thing that set Kyler Murray apart that people don't understand. It's like that guy makes every throw. It doesn't matter that he was five foot ten. He still makes every stinking throw. He has pinpoint accuracy. He has a heck of an arm. I remember last year when me and Jeremiah went up to the Oklahoma game. Uh, not not in 18, but in, in 2017. And we're watching the pregame warm-ups. And this was before Nico Small got pegged by Baker. We were watching the, the pregame warm-ups, and we were like, dude, Kyler Murray's arm is better than Baker Mayfield's. I mean, it's it's it, Baker had a pretty good arm, but we're sitting there just marveling how how strong Kyler Murray's arm was compared to Baker Mayfield's. And we we're like, man. Kyler Murray's better. He's got a better arm than Baker Mayfield. And so we kind of already saw it last year. And, and we, uh, people that obviously followed him in high school knew that he had a, a really strong arm and, and, and really accurate arm. I mean, he was bred to play quarterback. He's been training as a quarterback probably since he could stand up. But yeah, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good pick by Kingsbury and we'll see how well it works. You know, Kingsbury did have Patrick Mahomes in college and they only went six and seven. So let's see how he does in the pro ranks. They're definitely, they definitely drafted around him to help him get some weapons, but we'll see how it's going to be. It, it will be interesting. You know, the throw that he made that made me think he should be the number one pick was, was actually in the orange bowl against Alabama. You know, I think, I think since Bama jumped out to such a big lead so early that you kind of forget that they, they actually kind of had an opportunity to, to make that a game. And it, it kind of was a game, but you had to pay attention to the second half. He stepped into the pocket almost on his toes and threw the ball 50 yards in the air on a dime to, to Rambo, the kid out of Cedar Hill, right? Yeah, yeah to Charleston Rambo. And he, he put it in a spot where no one could get it but Rambo, and Rambo made that made that catch, and he doesn't have great hands, to be totally honest. I'm not knocking him. He doesn't have the hands that Rager had. He doesn't have the hands that CeeDee Lamb has. And he put that ball in a perfect spot, and it looked like he just flipped his wrist like he was throwing a beer bottle into the trash can, and it just was a laser 50 yards downfield. And um, at that moment, I was like, I don't know anybody. Tua can't make that throw. Baker couldn't make that throw. And it was it was powerful, you know. It kind of it kind of convinced me that he he should be the number one pick. I'm not surprised when he gave up on baseball. I'm not surprised because he's going to sign a massive contract with with the Cardinals, and I, I think he made the right right move for himself. I think he made the right move for his money. I just hope he made the right move for his body because, like you said, he's not big. We'll see what happens when he gets hit four or five times in one day. So he, they better they better get some linemen around him to protect him. But if they do, he's going to be in business. Yep. He's going to be in business. So, all right, let's go ahead and switch gears here. Uh, you know, we have uh, some commits that is a uh, commitment that has taken place, as well as some other things on the radar in terms of what might be coming up at the end of April and May. Let's start with one. Frogs land a big defensive back out of Virginia. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about how this happened and, and what you can do to update our listeners that have a passion for recruiting like we all do. Well, I mean, it was, it was a good get getting Keontae Jenkins. I mean, he's the number one cornerback in Virginia, number five overall player, number 17 uh, cornerback in the country. And this is your prototypical TCU cornerback, 5'10", 160, 170 pounds, but he can run like the wind. I mean, he, he's got legit 4.47 speed, uh, laser time. He ran a 4.42 hand time. He ran a 4.00 shuttle, which is – gonna get you an offer right off the bat if you're in front of Gary Patterson but he's he's a, a, a great cover corner he can play on an island he doesn't have to get up and press you all the time but he is physical um, but but the thing that I like about him is he has great hips he, he can turn and run um, get great ball skills re, great reaction when, once the ball goes up in the air and and that's really what you have to have as as a corner for TCU if you look back at past uh good corners for for the defense you look at jason verrett you look at ranthony tahada and look now at jeff gladney jeff's probably a little bit more physical than the other two but 
you look at uh, Jason and Ranthony, those two guys could play on an island just as good as anyone in the country. And, and that's what Keontae is going to bring. He's going to be a guy that could come in and, and play on an island. And it's a great pickup, especially after losing Jaude Barron that decommitted uh, last week as well. So uh, just for him to, to choose TCU, you're, you're getting out of your typical recruiting foot, uh, footprint, being up in Virginia. And I think TCU is going to have some good success up there. They've got uh, a few key guys that are recruiting that they've offered and trying to get some of those guys in for visits. They've already had three of them. You had uh, Altreet Barlow and Nakai Meredith that came in a few weeks ago. And, and Barlow is going to be making his decision this uh, today's the 29th. So he's going on May 2nd, which is Thursday. He's going to be making his announcement at 3 p.m. And I still feel really well feel really good about TCU's chances in, in landing him, but they're going to go after if, if, if they can get, uh, if they can, they've already got Jenkins. If they could get Barlow, they're, they're going to really put the pressure on Meredith. Uh, they're going to, they're going to obviously, if Barlow commits to them, they're going to tell both Barlow and Jenkins, Hey, get on Meredith, get on Tony Grimes, get on some of these other kids that we've offered from up there. And, and I think, I think they'll have some success, but it's going to be an exciting time for uh, for May. I, I someone asked me today in the recruiting mailbag how many commits I think they'll have by the by by June first, and and I really do think they're going to have six to seven commits um, by that time. Uh, you've got guys announcing, Barlow's announcing. You've got Eli Williams that's going to be making his commitment on May uh, May sixth, I think it is. Uh, James Sylvester is going to be making his commitment on May twenty fourth. Uh, I really think Dominic Richardson, once he, he's going to have an official visit to TCU this weekend, I think after he gets off of that visit, he'll probably go home, talk to his family, and, and come out with a decision timeline. Uh, you've got Corey Wren that's told me that he's going to be making his decision uh, near his team spring ball. So it, it, it could be an exciting time for, for TCU fans with, within the next month because I, I think – Right now, if you look at the rankings, yeah, they're in the 60s. But I, I think by the time you blink your eye and open up, June 1st is here, you're going to be looking at a class that could easily be in the top 20. And, and as far as the average goes for each one of those recruits, it's going to be very competitive with that 2016 class, which is the kind of the the benchmark, the, the, the measuring stick of how you rank TCU classes. There's n- never been a class under Gary Patterson that's been ranked higher uh, for the class ranking overall and just for the average ranking per player. So it right now we say it every year because it, it especially last year, the class started good and in 2018 started really, really good. But it, it has the makings of being a really, really successful class, even though it's going to be a smaller class. You, you'll have less quantity, but you'll have more quality. And, and I think that's really big. You mentioned James Sylvester out of Newton. That's a kid I've got my eye on. Uh, do you feel good about the Frogs' chances of, of landing him? And can you kind of give us a hard timeline on when he's going to commit? Because, you know, after seeing, obviously, Banigou and LJ Collar getting drafted, to get a big, physical Texas defensive end, I think that's going to go a long way to be able to secure a recruit like that. What, are, what do you think the Frogs' chances are, and when can we expect an announcement out of yeah, him? Yeah, he's, he's making his announcement on May 24th. Um, he's going to be, he's doing it around his birthday. That's when his birthday is. And that's when he wanted to make the decision, but I still feel really good about TCU's chances. When I spoke with him after he visited a few weeks ago, and I'm going to touch base with him again, just to see how things are with him. But he, he almost got emotional just talking about TCU and, and how much he likes TCU and just how much he likes the coaching staff and, and, and just the environment and just being in that family atmosphere, you just got that sense that it's going to take a ton from another school to come in here and, and go down to Newton and, and change his mind. It, it just, it just seems like really, just, I, I've talked to thousands of kids and I can tell you, I, I can tell the kids that are, that are just telling me what I want to hear. And I can tell you the kids that are being extremely genuine with what they're saying. And I could tell you with James, it was extremely genuine. He, he really does have TCU very high on his list. Uh, they're, they're at the top. He told me they're at the top of his list. And it, like I said, it, it's going to take a lot to knock them down from the top of the mountain. I think with 
with LJ and with Ben getting drafted is just even going to make it that much harder for another team to come in because he was already impressed because if you remember, he visited right after TCU's pro day. He got to campus. He can't be out there watching things. He can hang out in the weight room as they're doing their workouts. But he saw all those NFL scouts up there. He saw all those teams represented, and he knew exactly why those teams were there. They were there to watch LJ and Ben. And as a fellow defensive end, that opens his eyes. I mean, he 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 knows that if he goes to TCU, he's going to have a great chance to be coached well by Gary Patterson, by Dan Sharp, by Zarnell Fitch, and he's going to have a chance to develop. And I think right now he's extremely raw. He's He's at Newton. They play multiple sports at that level. He's never really been in the weight room that much. He's he's only about 215 right now because he ran track. And, and I'll be honest, when I saw him up at TCU, he was a lot skinnier than when, when I saw him in the state championship game. But you get him in that, you get him in TCU's weight training, get him on the meal plan, and he's going to be like another Roshan Mathis-looking kid by this time two years from now. He's going to be – at least a, a good 6'3", 6'4", 235 of solid muscle. He's, he's going to be a good-looking kid. And, uh, what's great about his, his uh, story, if he does commit, you're getting a guy that's a four-star uh, player uh, ranked in the top 15 in the country at his position, and that's going to open some eyes. But I said on, uh, to, to bring up the mailbag again, uh, someone had asked me how much I think that would help their recruiting for, for defensive ends and just – overall players in general with their, with their draft success. And I think it will help defensive end uh, with James, this class, but next class 2021, where they need to take a couple more guys. I think it's going to help with those guys as well, especially with a guy like Landon Watson, who I talked to today, who is uh, that, that really opened his eyes and he's already ranked as one of the top defensive ends for the 2021 class. So we should see it. Uh, You hope to see it. I've, I don't know what else to say except, I mean, they've got they've got everything they need recruiting-wise to go out and get a good defensive end. That's a good update, Jeremy. I appreciate all that on recruiting. You can kind of never get enough info on that front, so appreciate that. All right, I want to pivot to something that let's just come clean about. People have asked us to talk about baseball. I'm all in on Schloss. I'm all in on the TCU baseball team. I'm at a loss this season. I'm at a loss this season. So I, I, I don't know what to do other than complain. So I want to start with this premise. When you get swept by Baylor, and I don't just mean swept. I mean they, they ran a score up on us in a way that was painful. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I, if you want to break down the how, how bad the baseball team is right now, we can do that. This is a question I'm more bothered by. So this is this is my baseball talk for this episode. Jeremy, Daniel, I want to hear from both of you if, if you've got something to say. We all know that Jim Schlossnagel was within a hair of taking the Mississippi State job last year, get a nice big salary, go to their big statement, go to their big stadium, see what's there. Uh, that they could have done that. He could have done that. Instead, he at the last minute, after all these reports that said he was going to go to Mississippi State, he decided to stay at TCU. Yeah, it wasn't the buyout, but it was a change of heart, and you know, but he was really close, and everybody knew how interested he was in it. Came back. Multiple posters on the board when I said, let's get some questions, said, what's wrong with the baseball team? It looks like Schloss has lost the team. It looks like they have no heart and no passion. All I could think about in reading that was, well, I guess two things. One, it's true. And two, what does that say about the basketball team next year with Coach Dixon? We all, you know, we've, we've talked every which way, every which angle about Coach Dixon almost taking the, the, the buyout being the only obstacle between Coach Dixon being the head coach at TCU and being the head coach at UCLA. I'd love to hear from either one of you. What, what, what do you think this does in terms of the basketball team next year. Do you, do, is this is this a prelude of what we're going to see? Is 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 the baseball team a product of him almost leaving? I, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm just kind of you know uh, going offline here and kind of complaining. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Jeremy. What what does this say about going forward on both teams? 
Well, it's interesting, but that's what happens when teams lose. It, it, it happened in football. It happened in basketball. And now it's happened in baseball. Everyone has the same question. Has so-and-so coach lost the team? And how many times do we have to answer that during the football season? Countless. How many times do we have to answer that during basketball? Same thing. Uh, baseball, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know what the reason is. I don't, you know, if, if, if it had anything to do with Mississippi State and Schloss leaving for there, I, I, I think it would have had more of an impact in the beginning of the season than, it, than where we are now. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. Uh, TCU, quite frankly, is just not that good. They're they're not they're not good, and I don't know how they turn it around. And maybe they don't. May I mean, they're not the only team playing bad baseball in the Big Twelve right now. It's it's not a not a very good league. Texas looks bad. Um, but as far yeah, Texas Texas is in, is in the same boat. But uh, basketball wise, it, it it'll be interesting because. Depending on who you believe, with with uh, Schloss and Mississippi State last year, it was, you know, some people say it wasn't his decision, it, and it, it was more Mississippi State's decision. And and you got to look at that with with uh, Jamie and UCLA. How much of it was Jamie's decision and not UCLA's? If if UCLA was willing to pay his buyout, would we be talking about Jamie being here at TCU? In my opinion, I love the guy to death, love everything he's done for the program, but I'm a firm believer that he would not be the TCU basketball coach if UCLA agreed to pay that buyout. That's just me. Um, Now, the good thing is, are the players going to be playing for him? Well, let's count how many are coming back next year. I mean, because you're losing more players than you are players returning. You've got Yet four guys already leave the program. Two guys are graduating. Two guys have entered their name in the draft. We all know Kawat Noy is going to leave. He's he's gone permanently. He's even if he doesn't get drafted, he's going to go play overseas. He's going to go somewhere else to pursue professional basketball. Desmond might have a chance to come back. So when you when you look at where the roster is right now for returning guys, really you have Kevin Samuel who who's also entered his name in draft. I don't think he's going to get drafted. I think he's just trying to get his grade, but uh, you have Kendrick Davis and you have Russell Barlow, you have Lat Mayan and, and really that's it as far as experienced guys go. I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot. And I think with that small core, you're fine. And if Desmond comes back, that's even better, but you've got a lot of new faces next year. You've got a lot of guys that are coming in as, as uh, transfers. You have some guys that they're still in, in the hunt for is grad transfers. A lot of those transfers are going to have to sit out. I know someone had asked if they're gonna, any of them are going to get waivers. I don't know. It's way too early to tell that yet. Um, it, obviously, I, I think each one of them will try to, to get a waiver, try to do something to – it seems now with college football, the way it's given out waivers, I mean, I think out of 60 transfers that were uh, eligible to get waivers, 54 of them got them. So, I mean, they're, they're, on the football side, it seems to be a pretty high success rate for players requesting those waivers and, and to have immediate eligibility. I don't know how it's going to be on the basketball side, but you can bet they're going to at least try it. But I don't know I don't know as far as uh, if it's going to take a toll on the basketball uh, toll on the basketball team like it did uh, football or baseball or whoever has those opinions. I personally don't have those opinions, um, but it, it, it'll be interesting to watch one way or another for basketball next year, because I, I'm just interested to watch because there's going to be so many, new there's going to be so many new faces and hopefully ha- we have more than seven scholarship players that are able to um, help make this game happen, you know, help, 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 help give this team into the tournament again. So yeah, that's all curious. That was the first thought I had when I was watching you know, after the the drama of Dixon not getting the job, it it it, it and not able to negotiate the buyout to get the job at UCLA, and then watching the baseball team just kind of, it's it's tough to be a TCU baseball fan right now. That's all I can say about that. That's tough to be a TCU baseball fan, especially after this weekend. And I know that some fans got really cranky, really cranky out there at Lupton. So that's what it is. That's where the team is, and that's where they are. So. 
I, I do feel bad for the TCU fan this year because every sport it seems is playing well below expectations. <laughs> I mean, you you had an injury bug in football. You had a you know a transfer bug, injury bug, whatever you want to call it in basketball. And the one thing TCU fans were really looking forward to this year was baseball, especially after they beat Vanderbilt early in the season. Everyone's thinking, man, this team can hit. Pitching comes around. It's going to be a great team. Omaha, here we come. And the way they're playing now, it's just it, it's it, it just up to par with what the TCU fan has had to go through this year in every major sport. It's been a tough season. Let's not lie about it. So, you know, at least we got to uh, got to be in the Cheez-Its Bowl. That's kind of the highlight of the season so far. Yeah. And the raffle team. The golf team's, team's looking pretty good. Awesome. Golf team's looking good. We are a rifle in golf school. Let's just go ahead and admit that right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. TCU is that. No, Alabama, Alabama is the TCU of, of rifle. Or football. That's what it is. Whatever. <laughs> you can Did I, well, last you know, too. for a man that communicates for a living, I can, bo- I can butcher the English language and botch a sentence like nobody in the world. So... That's just kind of how it is. Give me some grace, people. Give me some grace. It's, it's 940 on a Monday night. I'm kind of kind of slow right now. All right, we're going to move to land this thing. Let's start with some listener questions. So I'm going to start with this question for you, Jeremy. When we think about the 2019 season and the impact that it could have on the field, as well as what it can do in 20, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, is it better to win 10 games this year with Alex Delton or Michael Collins, or to win seven games this year with Justin Rogers or Max Duggan, knowing that that could set us up for a Big 12 title run. This first question comes from Jeff McCain. He wants to know, is it better to peak a little bit this year with a quarterback that's got one year, or take a few hits this season with a guy that could lead us to a Big 12 title game that I think we're all high on, both Justin and Max? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, here's the thing. No, no matter what, there's going to be a, a different quarterback next year. It, it's it, it, whether they win ten games this year. I mean, that's that's what you want to you want to get ten wins every year. But to me personally, I, I feel even if they win ten games with Alex or Mike this year, you're you're going to have you're going to have Justin or Max starting next year. That's just my personal opinion. You're no matter what, I, I would tell TCU fans for the the 2020 season to be expecting either uh, Justin or Max to be the starter, no matter what. I'm going to say, well, if Justin's healthy and it's a tie, put Justin in there, have some packages for Alex. But if Justin's in a good spot, I say, go with Justin. He's the guy that I'm, I'm most comfortable with in terms of let's put the program on his shoulders and see what he can do. And then, and then if he's not able to do it, let's go with Max. Cause you know, I, I I'm high on both those fellas, but I'd like to see Justin Rogers, if he's good to go, get a chance to make it work. Um, all right, for next one, you already kind of touched on this. Do do you think that uh, do you think that the basketball transfers are going to get a waiver to play next year? Pass, <laughs> pass. I no, I mean I, I don't know. It's like I said earlier; it's too early to tell. All, all I can say is I think they're going to. They're definitely gonna. Apply. There's no, uh, there's no rhyme or reason for who they're letting transfer without a waiver, and or who they're giving a waiver to, and who they're not. The dude, that weird dude that got the waiver from Ohio State, I can't remember his name, that went down to Miami, that was kind of, uh, Kate uh, Martell. Yes, the frogs were in on him at one time. I, oh my gosh, he's a diva. I hate saying that. He's kind of a diva. I'm. I don't think that. He got a waiver. So what, what What? waiver did he get other than, oh, I, there's somebody better than me. Let's give him a waiver. Well, well, Justin Fields got a waiver too. And it, it, it's funny because as long as you're a big name, you could get a waiver. But Tate Martell apparently is not doing too well down at Miami. Like He, he did not look good in the spring game from, from every report that I saw down there. And everyone's kind of knee-jerking a little bit, figuring out why they – why they were so fast to take Tate Martell and, and anoint him as the starter. And he just went in there and right now, I don't think he's listed as the starter. I think a, another kid 
looked better in the spring. And I can make a better case out. for Justin Fields getting a waiver for some of the stuff that was thrown hit by thrown at him by some of the members of the baseball team than I can Tate Martell that just got beat out and and decided to leave. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, what impact should we expect to have on our top defensive line recruits with TCU getting two D linemen drafted in the first and second round? You've already kind of mentioned this. Is there anybody you're looking at in the 2020 class, especially that put their hand in the dirt that you think the frogs might be able to land other than Sylvester? 2020, uh, it, it's going to be tough. I, I like the James Ash kid. Um, I think Zarnell Fitch has done a really good job recruiting him. Um, they're, it's going to be so selective uh, on defense. I just can't be adamant enough. They took so many defensive players last year. They only took eight offensive guys in last year's class. So this time around, it's the offense's turn. They got to go out. They got to get receivers. They got to get at least three outside receivers. They got to find running backs. They would like to add another quarterback. They would love to add three or four offensive linemen. So, and, and at least one to two tight ends. So, Defensive players is it's a priority, but it's not as high a priority. There, let me just put it to you this way: defensive coaches are going to have to jump up on the table, hop up and down, and fight for their life to get some of these kids um, that they're wanting to take. If if it's a questionable if it's a questionable take, um, they they want to go out and get the top names available. Like Jenkins, he's the top name at at cornerback. James Sylvester, if they can get him, he's a top name at, at a defensive end. If you look at the linebacker offers, they haven't even offered five linebackers yet. I mean, it's it's very, very selective. Uh, if they could have got a guy like Jalen Kimber, who just committed to Georgia a, a little over a week and a half ago, he that, that would have been a guy they would have loved to have had. I mean, that that's, that's the kind of guys that they're trying to get. If Jahari Rogers wanted to call up and commit tomorrow, they would take him. That's that's the kind of impact guy that they're looking for uh, as a defensive player. So it, it's going to be guys like that um, that that they're going to have to you know really key in on and 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 see how it goes. They they can be slow with some of these recruits, and like I said, if if particular kids call up and if they're high enough on the board and they call up, they want to commit. Then yeah, obviously they're going to take them. But it's going to be more offensive heavy this class. All right, two last questions. One, do you watch Game of Thrones? I do not. Okay, I had a Game of Thrones question, uh, but I'll, I'll just roll it out there and you can answer it because I don't know who this character is because I don't watch it either. But if you could compare one football player to Ara Stark, who would it be? A player that is overlooked due to height, weight, speed, but it's truly an MVP of this team. Who would you look at that's that's not the biggest, not the fastest, not the highest recruited, but could be truly be an MVP for this team? It's hmm. a good question. I'm going uh, Garrett Wallow. I love Garrett Wallow. Yeah, Garrett Garrett would be a good good kid. He'd be MVP candidate. I would say the guy right now that is has really not been hyped up, but I think it's going to be a, a, a guy that we're all going to be talking about in, in some form or another is, is uh, Coy McMillan because right now he's your starting center, and we don't know how long it's going to take for Kelton Hollins to get back from his injury. And Gary Patterson said even said even without Kelton's injury, we were already looking at center as a position that we needed to get better at. So – if you're talking about an offensive line that returns all that experience and you've got a guy in the middle that doesn't have a lot of experience, he's going to have a lot of watchful eyes. But from all indications, he had a really good spring. He's a strong kid. He's smart. And that's one of the biggest reasons why he was push, pushing Kelton in the first place. So, Coy McMillan, give me that guy, even though I have no idea who that Game of Thrones guy is. And, yes, I am not afraid to admit that I do not watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch it either. I watched one episode, the very first episode, and I just couldn't stomach it. It was it was too rough for me. So that said, I watch The Sopranos constantly, so it's not like I'm a prude. So I'll leave it at that. Um, all right, last question comes from yours truly, 2020 quarterback. Are we still in the game for uh, Hayes King out there in, in Longview? 
And if it's not him, who is the most? Who is the quarterback most likely to commit to the Frogs from the 2020 class? Eli Williams. They're still on Haynes King. They still went out and visited him. But if they get a Eli Williams, they're going to give him a shot at quarterback. Um, but I will also say if Eli Williams commits and then Haynes King wants to come in and commit to, they would take Haynes King as well. I mean, that's that you're 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 going to with Eli. You're, you're recruiting a kid that plays quarterback, but he is somewhat open to other positions, but he at least wants a shot at quarterback and, and TCU is going to give him that shot if they do land him. So uh, I, I would definitely say Eli Williams. You know, I don't play what might've been very often in recruiting, but I really wish we could have got direct King, uh, direct King at this, at this point right now, yeah. both last season and, and going into this year, I would love to have Dorit King stepping in and being the starting quarterback for the Frogs. So he's obviously was able to make it work at Houston. He did it at Houston this last season. And it, it'd be nice to have him step in there and, and be able to, to run the offense this season. So I want we have to take a top-flight quarterback every class, every class. And now that means we take two, so be it. So you're never going to get – you're rarely going to get a kid that's going to stick around four or five years. So – We'll see what happens, but I kind of wish we had Dariq King right now. Yeah, he would have been definitely the dual threat they were looking for, but I, I've always been of the opinion if 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 they don't seem like they're going to be a good quarterback in college because they don't have the size or because maybe they don't throw the football you think they should, if they put up numbers at that level like Kyler Murray did at Allen and, and King did at Manville, you give them a shot to play the position they did awesome at in high school in college. Uh, and both of those guys, if, if there's any proof that you need to, to find out there, just look at those guys who, who are guys that, uh, well, Kyler, not so much, but Derek for sure. You know, not a lot of people thought he was going to be able to transition to quarterback at the next level. And TCU is one of them. Um, they wanted to make him a, a receiver, but, uh, he obviously proved a lot of people wrong. A lot of a lot of schools that wanted to offer him as a receiver, and a lot of schools that didn't even offer him. Period, because they didn't think he was a, a quarterback at the next level. But uh, he's man, he's a great talent. Yeah, if you're putting up those numbers in Manville, I want you. That's the easiest way to, for me to put it. That's a that's a good brand of football that they play, and that is played at a high level. Houston Houston high school Highest football, level of Texas football. I know. That's nope. why I knew when Desmond White, even though he was really small and he didn't play quarterback in in, in uh, college, I knew if he can total over 5,000 yards at DeSoto at the highest level of competition in the highest level of football played in the country in Texas, then that kid can play college football at the FBS level. And, and, and although he didn't put up mind-boggling stats, he did uh, turn out to be a pretty good contributor for TCU. And if they didn't have him in the Alamo Bowl, against Stanford, who knows how that game would have turned out because he had a great game, finished his career off with a bang. Yeah, contributor for four years. That's that's a really good sign for a scholarship player. He contributed for four years. So, All right, fellas, we're going to bring this episode to the end here. We're coming up on an hour. Unless you got something else to, to share, let's wrap this thing up. Anything else? I'm good. All right. Well, as always, we want to thank you for listening to the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, go on iTunes and rate us. Give us a five-star rating. We'd love to get your reviews and your feedback so that we can uh, get get our show promoted. I think that, um, you know, we've, we've really grown this show over the last couple of years, especially since we joined Horn Frog Blitz. If you haven't yet, go join it. Go join hornfrogblitz.com. It's going to give you a chance to know what's going on in recruiting and keep you updated on all the latest inside of the program. So for Jeremy and for Daniel, I'm Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.